though we were enemies of the cross of Christ, we were just living in our own way, not seeking you, but then you found us. You sent Jesus to pay for our sin so that you could make us your own. And I thank you, Lord. Pray for your grace as I get ready to bring this word out, Lord, and let it be your word, not mine. I pray, Father, you would help us all here. Strengthen us, Lord, and your word said that the word is useful for instruction, correction, and reproof. So I'm going to open the word, and I'm going to be instructed. I will be corrected. I'll be reproved, but I'll receive it because it's from you. And I thank you, Lord, and in your name I pray. Amen. Praise God. So uh, this next Saturday, June 18th, we have uh, Celebration for Life of Pat Stewart. This is what I have, I have here for. Uh, this is what Bill has given me. <clears throat> if he, says, he said, if you have an RSVP to Bill, please reply so that we have enough food. If you'd like to attend, give Bill your email address, and he'll send you the announcement. Bill is up in the sound booth. So if you don't know where Bill is, he's up there. He said he has 80 people RSVP'd, so that's... That's quite a, quite a gathering to celebrate Pat. That's, that's awesome. Praise God. All right. Turn with me over to Matthew 13. How are you all today? God spent some extra time working on us during the worship, right? So get ready. Matthew 13. Look down at verse 3. This is Jesus speaking. It says, then he spoke, he's about to speak. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some seed fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root. They withered away. And some seed, some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is one of those passages that you, you know, I see something different in it every time I read it. Um, the sower sows the seed. Actually, uh, the way that they would sow seed in the olden days before they had modern machinery, they, would, they had a certain way that they would step and they would reach into the, the bag and scatter the seed a certain way. And that actually, the word is broadcast because you're casting a broad, you know, it's a broad stroke, if you will. And so you're, and that's actually where we get that word broadcast that they use for news sources, you know, whatever. So, so the sower broadcasts the seed over many different types of soil. He doesn't concern himself in the parable anyway. He doesn't concern himself with the type of soil he's broadcasting to. Now, uh, farmers will take time to pick a certain field. Um, I've, I've, I've watched uh, documentaries and things and seen, like, who, who watch doc, watches documentaries on farms? I do. 
And so uh, I've seen uh, there was a certain show where this, this uh, farmer had, um, he had a certain plot of land. He was on an island, and uh, he had a certain plot of land. And he knew by which direction the wind was blowing whether or not he would have rain. And that's just what he knew based on where he was. And so if he's going to select a field, he's going to pick a field carefully and say, okay, i got to pick. This field down here is a drainage field. This won't work. I need to pick a certain field. And I need, then once the field is selected, then he needs to prepare the field. He needs to, you know, break up all the rocks, break out any tree roots and things like that and get it out of there so that then he can go back and, and aerate the soil and, and, you know, make the furrows. And, and then, then he can go and he can broadcast the seed. Now, that's how it works for, because if farmers were to do what this farmer is doing in the story, they wouldn't do well because, they're, because he's scattering it over every type of soil. He's scattering, some fell on the footpath, some fell on uh, uh, thorny ground, some fell on shallow ground, uh, in other words, ground that hasn't been prepared. And then some fell on good ground that has been prepared. And so it's interesting to me, he's broadcasting it over all these different types of soil. And we know, we've studied before, that these different types of soil are different types of hearts, different people in the world. And so the word goes out. Some people respond and some people don't. Some people respond di- differently to the word than others do, right? And so uh, it's interesting because it, you know, made me as I was reading it, it made me think of like, you know, we have you have you seen a movie where there's a cons- there's a conspiracy uncovered and there's these few people that know about it and they're trying to figure out a way. How if only a bunch of people knew about this, <laughs> things would change. And so what do they try to do? Usually they try to if it's a if it's a modern movie where you have you know, in, in computers or internet or whatever, they, are, they develop a plan. Okay, we're going we're gonna to somehow uh, hijack the, the, this communications array so that we can broadcast this conspiracy. And when they do that, they do that no, in the movie. They do that knowing that some people aren't going to believe it. And so it's the same kind of situation here. God has broadcast the message of Jesus over many different types of soil. So the sower sows the word. Jesus has also called us to sow the word. Right? Turn with me to John 4. A couple, couple of chapters over here. This is usually the part, you know, I'd be listening and the preacher's talking about this and I'm with him up, and, up until the part where he says, I've got to do something about it. It's like, wait a minute. You're telling me to do something. Yes. That's actually not, a, it's not, it's not, the preacher, it's not the evangelist. It's, it's God telling us to do something. John 4, look down at verse 34. And this is really interesting. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish my work. No, what do he say? Finish his work. Finish his work. Do you not say, there are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, 
and you have entered into their labors. So the, what's he talking about? He's talking, he's, he's, this is, this is, he's saying the fields are white for harvest. He's not talking about a natural field. He's not talking about a wheat field or a, or, or, you know, a grain field. He's talking about the field of the world. And so, you know, we tend to look at the world and its current state and say, these people are not interested in the gospel. But Jesus is saying, the field is ripe for harvest. And he says, uh, he, 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 he says this is, I sent you to reap that for which you have not sown. Others have labored. In other words, every generation that has gone before us that has sown seed. So others have labored. And now you're entering into their labors. This is not the harvest that we would have chosen to do, to, to have, be a part of. This is not something that I would have chosen for myself to do. This is not something that you chose for yourself to do. You have been called to it. I have been called to it. I had uh, there's there's always an inner conflict that arises in me and most believers when they get this. I mean, there's 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 I always looked at some, some believers are just like they they receive Jesus and they are so happy to just tell anyone they can find about Jesus. And I always admire those people. But they're but they're a small a small percentage of us. And so for most of us, we have this inner conflict when we're like, but you want me to go tell people about you. You know, and uh, and we tend to think, well, but they're not interested in it, and a lot of them are not. But again, the broadcaster, the the, the, the sower broadcasts the seed over any type of soil, and all types of soil, whether they're it's a it's a receiving kind of soil or not. The heart, the the, the footpath, the seeds couldn't penetrate because those people's heart they're not interested in seeking out the meaning of what God is saying. To find out, oh, God's really not against me. Oh, God really does want Je- want me to accept Jesus. Oh, He really He doesn't want me to go to hell. Didn't know that. Didn't know. That. I've seen I've seen people that I've seen that dawn on them when they're being told about about it's when someone tells them God doesn't want you to go to hell, and they're like, really? I didn't know that. Didn't know. You know. And so, but we tend to think because we're like, well, the people are not interested. People are not interested in hearing. Uh, that kind of discourages us, and we're like, "Well, we're not. What are we really accomplishing if we go out and do, you know?" And so I, uh, I remember one time I was up here, and I, and I just had, I was just sitting on the stool, and I was worshiping God. Just had my guitar, and I was worshiping God, and He led me into a, a, a song that it's just what I call a spiritual song. It's not a not a song that's written down anywhere. I'm just singing out, and I'm singing out my heart to Him. But He He'll have you shift if you're in you know he'll he, sometimes he'll shift you out of that and into singing out something that he wants you to sing and uh, so i did this kind of a kind of a switch and i started singing about joy in the harvest so there's joy in the harvest and i thought you know i, I tend not to think about that we because we tend to think of i mean harvest is hard labor and it is it's hard hard work i, I saw um me and Tammy were watching a show one time and and uh, there was a town, and they, they were a farming community, and their, their, a sickness hit. And so the most, a lot of the, it was like young, young and old. And some of the people were well, some of the people were sick. But, but it was harvest time, 
And if they didn't, they knew if they didn't get out there and, and harvest the field that they wouldn't have any, any grain to eat. They wouldn't be able to have any bread for the winter. And so they, like, anybody who's, you, you kid, you, you. And they, they pulled everybody to go out in there, and they even had the guy that was in, supposed to be in charge of the harvest, because you have to have a leader to designate, okay, we're, you know, we're going here, we're doing this, and now everyone with me, because when they're going by, by hand, they have to be in rhythm. And they had working songs that they would sing to keep everybody in rhythm as they're going and they're harvesting. And so, and so in this case, it's really hard work because the main guy that's supposed to be is sick, and so they had to bring in one of the older guys who had done it before, and he had to remember the song and everything. And so, but we don't think about it because even though the harvest is hard work, there is joy in the harvesters, or in, in, among the harvesters in the harvest. And, uh, you know, all throughout history, at harvest time, people would rejoice, and they would. The leaders of the community would get the people stirred up and say, "We need to rejoice. We need to be happy about this because when you're happy about it, it's going to make the work easier." The Christians need to rejoice, even though the work is difficult right now. There have been some of you in this church who told me recently who about a family member who's come to the Lord, and 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 you prayed and you sowed for. Years sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing. Is this person ever going to hear? And they came to the Lord. And the road was difficult, but guess what? There's joy in the harvest. Galatians 6 9 says, And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Title of today's message is How Not to Grow Weary. How Not to Grow Weary. Jesus knows the potential to grow weary is there because it can be difficult during a planting season, during a growing season, during a harvest season, but we are to be ready in season and out of season. Amen? The Word says that. Be ready in season and out of season. Be ready. So it's possible then to not grow weary. Because, it's, because the word said, uh, let us not grow weary. So it's like weariness doesn't just come upon you. You grow weary over time in the work. Amen. So it's possible not to do that, not to grow weary. Look, uh, so how do you do that? Look, look back up at verse 1 in this same chapter of John. We're in John 4. Look back up there. It says, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. Why did he need to go through Samaria? The Jews would usually go around that. Many Jews would just go around because they didn't want to deal with the Samaritans on the way. Jews don't deal with, didn't deal with Samaritans. And so he, but it said he needed to do it. Why did he need to? Because he said, I came, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Apparently, he had some work that he had to do in Samaria. And so he needed to go through there in order to do the work, that, God, that, that his father's work, right? He needed to go through Samaria. Verse 5, so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being what? Wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, so he's wearied. 
the disciples went off to buy food. Jesus then stays at the well during the hot part of the day, by the way. It's the hot part of the day. He's there, sitting by the well. And he ministered, the Samaritan woman comes by. He ministers to the Samaritan woman. Most of us probably know the story. If you don't know, then you can go back and you can read it for yourself. But um, I'm not going to get into that. But so the point is, is that Jesus is weary when he sat down. Right? And so the disciples are like, okay, well, we're going to go buy you some food. Why? Because when you're weary, it's like, get, let's, sit, let's sit here. Let's, let's rest. Let's get some food. Let's get some drink. Let's, let's, let's get our, ourselves back a little refreshed, and then we can continue. I've done that many times, many, many day trips with the kids. The kids are little, we're out, and they're cranky, it's hot. You know, okay, we'll have a seat down here, and we'll get out some snacks, and, and we'll get you refreshed, right? So Jesus is just, the disciples can tell he's weary, so they say, we're going to go buy you some food. So they leave. They go, they're, they're off to buy the food. And, and then he, even though he is weary, sows into the life of this woman, telling her how to be saved. She's like, the question comes out, where do I go to worship God? Jesus, then he says, okay, well, if you want to worship God, you're not going to go to a physical location. You're going to worship him in spirit and truth. Those are the people that God's looking for to worship him. So he spends time telling this woman. And he, and he told her, if you knew who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So Jesus is saying, hey, salvation is available to you. So he is sowing into this woman, right? He is telling her the good news. Amen. Now look down at verse 27. Verse 27 said, And at this point his disciples came, so they're bringing the food back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Like, what happened here? He was weary when we left, and now he's not weary. What happened? Did someone bring him food? Did someone? What happened? Yeah? Verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And then Jesus continues to tell them what we just first read about, I, I, I have, look, the, you know, I, the fields are white, white for harvest. I, I have called you to do work that you wouldn't have chosen for yourself. Amen. He is telling us how, or showing us in this case, how to not grow weary in doing good. Because let us not grow weary in doing good. The word said if we don't, if we don't lose heart, in due season we'll reap. So again, when he arrived at the well, he's weary. After he spoke to the Samaritan woman about God, he was refreshed. He's refreshed. Jesus said his food is to do the will of him who sent him, finish the work. And the work he gave us to do similarly is not the work, again, and I'm stressing this again, is not the work we would have chosen for ourselves. 
And it's good because you can go to God and say, God, this is not the work I would have chosen for me, but I will do the work. I will do it. It's comforting to be able to tell your father, I don't like this, but I will do it anyway because I love you. Amen? Something refreshing about that, being able to say that to God. And we minister to one another as well, not just to the lost. That's why we don't forsake the gathering of ourselves together. There's a reason that God said, don't forsake, don't do it, don't, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. Because times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord when we pray, when we praise, when we worship, when we sit under teaching and preaching of the word. These things refresh our spirit, man. I mean, this, that is not to be your source, though. Th- those are refreshing, but your source is to be God himself. Because Jesus said, who believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so we can refresh each other with that living water, but then we're also sustained by that living water. It's absolutely necessary that we we do both of those things. And then on the other hand, when it comes to reaching the lost, because that's just a moment to talk about refreshing one another. Paul talked about one of the letters he wrote. I think it was to Gaius. And he's like, he's like, I thank God every day for you, brother, because you have refreshed the brethren. Because he was an encourager. Amen. So we all have different gifts. And so... When it comes to reaching the lost, some people have told me, Pastor, it's so, it's so um, encouraging, to, to so, or no, so discouraging to sow so much seed and invite so many people to church and never see anything happen. I've had more than one person tell me that. Okay. It's okay. You can tell me that. I promise you I won't faint. I'll be Okay. And I understand it, too. I understand it because I've been there. That's why many Christians have, you know, cloistered. This is my theory, is why many Christians, and I'm not talking about just here, I'm talking about um, all over the place, have kind of cloistered themselves because they believe that those on the outside just aren't interested. Like I said, kind of returning back to that point I made earlier. And yet Jesus, and why do we come to that conclusion? Because we invite and we invite and we invite and we invite and we sow and we sow and we sow and we don't see anything. We don't see any immediate results. But you understand that, uh, that in the natural you sow a, a, a field during a grow, growing season, and there is not immediate results. In fact, it looks like you did, I mean, you pl- I mean, have you ever had that little project as a kid where you, you plant those little lima beans or whatever they are, and every day you're going back and checking the soil? It's not going through yet. I think, I think maybe something's wrong here, you know. I, but, but see, it takes time. It takes time. So I mean, it takes in, in in the natural it takes months, and so we make a mistake when we just assume. Well, I told them about Jesus one time, but they're just not interested. Oh, I don't want to talk about Jesus. How many times does it take? How many how many how many times you got to scatter that seed? <clears throat> and I think that 
you know, we, we get out there for the umpteenth time and people aren't, we see that we think people aren't interested and we wonder, has this been worth it? And, you know, or, 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 or am I doing something wrong? Am I just not qualified for this? But you're all qualified. If Jesus has done something for you, you are qualified to tell your story. Amen. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3. And I'm going I'm to show you something I've seen in the Word that might help along this line. Because it's easy for us to get discouraged along this area. Oh, yeah, and the devil would like nothing more than for us to be discouraged and not tell people about Jesus. Because it's not even at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's not even just about building the numbers in this church. It's about building the kingdom. I mean, yeah, of course we want to see more people here because the more people that are here, the more people we can speak into their lives. But if, if, if one of you gets somebody saved and they don't come here, I'm happy just that they're saved. As long as they're someplace. So here in 1 Corinthians 3, look down at verse 5. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He says, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. I planted, Apollos watered. Remember Jesus said, he who, he who sows and he who reaps rejoice together and so we all have different things that we're better at paul was was good at planting apollos was good at watering some people are good at reaping some people are good at but see and you might you might be called to do any number of those things you know it's like this is not god god's kingdom is not a union you know god has not said okay all you're ever going to do is plant go do it no he's going to pull you off things and and yeah you may be better at planting than you are at reaping but he might have you do some reaping too and then go back to planting. And then, okay, now I'm going to go over here, now I'm going to water. Now I'm going to, you know, whatever it is. Amen? And so Paul is just saying, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Paul is saying, I could not have brought the increase. Apollos could not have brought the increase. Only God can bring increase. I can plant. I can water, but God brings the increase. I think that some of us have been shouldering a burden that's not ours to bear. Remember, what we have been called to is not the work we would have chosen. It is God's work. You may have been called to plant, or you may have been called to water, but did you know that you are never called to be the one to give the increase? That is something that God reserves for himself. You cannot bring the increase. You can be faithful to plant. You can be faithful to water, but you can't bring increase. It's difficult to, to give, get the majority of Christians to enter into the work, at least to the level that God would probably want them to. But I think that many of the ones who do, who, who have taken into the, or who have entered into the work, uh, thought that it fell on them somehow to be the one to bring the increase, and so that's going to make you weary. If I think that I'm the one that has to bring the increase, and I can't do that, and, I have, and I've got my hand on that, and I'm not letting it go, and God is saying, okay, if you think you can do that, but then there's no increase that comes because I can't do that, can you see how I could be, become weary under that burden? 
Think about it. Have you had a family member you're praying for so hard? And there's a part of you that's like, I, you know, maybe you're not saying it, but maybe you're thinking, I have to save them. You can't save them. You can plant. You can water, but you can't save them. God has already done everything he's going to do about saving them because he sent Jesus. They have to accept Jesus. Once they accept Jesus, then God's the one that's going to bring the increase in their life. Assuming that they respond to him. they got to respond to him. So, how can any of us possibly measure the effect that our planting or our watering has on a person's heart? Can you see into a person's heart? Can you see the effect of what you have sown? Just like I can't go over to my little, my little science lima bean project and I can't see into the soil to see anything happening in there. You can't see into a person's heart to see the effect of your ministry on their heart because God is the one who brings the increase. Are you with me? Lay down the burden of thinking that anyone's salvation is your responsibility. No one's salvation is your responsibility. It's their responsibility because God's done everything. He can. He's made the offer. It's their responsibility. But if you're faithful to sow and to plant, then at the end God will say, well done, good and faithful servant, whether they accepted Jesus or not. See, there's, there's freedom there. Even if you, you and, and just, I'm going to come at this from a slightly different angle just to drive this point home a little bit. Even if you hear a person confess Jesus as their Lord, there's two components. Remember, the person getting saved, Paul gave us. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you, what, believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead. So there's two components, the confession and the belief. Well, now, you may hear a confession. You may hear someone say, yes, Jesus is my Lord, but can you see what they believe? Can you see into the soil? Can you follow them every minute of their, even if you could, even if you, even if you could see it, could you follow them around every minute of their life to make sure they don't backslide? You can't. So then, because you can't, that's not your responsibility. Not your burden. And so don't, don't get weary by taking that as a burden different ways to be burdened to be burdened in different ways to grow weary so then how can you measure whether or not your ministry has been a success and i'm not talking about like a pulpit ministry if you are a christian you have a ministry if you have accepted jesus you have a ministry even if all my ministry is is scrubbing these floors and talking to people about jesus as they walk by so then, how can, so whether whether or not that's my ministry, or whether or not I have a, a a global touring ministry, and you know, and and all kinds of teachings out there, and you know, I mean, draw thousands and thousands of people. On Judgment Day, God's not going to look at the 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 low place versus the high place. We just talked about that, right? He's not going to look at that. He's going to look at the level of faithfulness to, for each for each 
individual, and he might end up saying, this janitor was more faithful than this worldwide evangelist that was whatever. He might. That's what Jesus meant when he said, the, the last shall be first, the first shall be last. Because it's not about the, the, the work itself. It's about your heart as you do the work. About how faithful you are in the work. That's all your responsibility. That's where your responsibility lies. Did I do well with what I was given? Did I follow God and what he told me to do? Was I obedient? Was I willing? So, what would you say if I told you that it's not your responsibility to worry about whether or not your ministry is a success? That's not your responsibility either, to worry about whether or not is this, is this successful? Look at the top of chapter 4. Let a man so consider us. He's talking about Paul himself and Apollos again. So he's like, when you think about us as servants of Christ, when you think about me and Apollos as servants and stewards of the mystery of God, the mysteries of God, they are, stu- they are caretakers of the mysteries that God has revealed to them, and they are to share those things with other believers. Okay, let a man so consider us, and that's their ministry, you see. That's their ministry. That's what they have been called to do. He said, let a man so consider us as servants of of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me... It is a very small thing. Pay attention to what he's saying here. With me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. He's talking about ministry. I do not judge myself in my ministry is what he's saying. I do not judge my, I, I don't, I'm not, I, I don't, he's like, I'm not going to take your judgment. I'm not going to take a human court's judgment. I'm not even going to take my judgment on the success of my ministry. And he's not being prideful in saying this. He's not saying I'm not accountable to anybody. That's not what he's saying. Because you could think that, well, I'm just going to do whatever I want, and I'm not going to listen to any of you. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about, because that's, that's accountability. He's still accountable to people. He would let one of the other elders tell him, Paul, you need to examine yourself. It seems like you're slipping up here. You're, you're out of God's will. Then he at least would say, okay, well, let me let me... Let me get in the Word and pray about that, and let me think about it. But he is simply saying, when it comes to measuring the success of his ministry, he does not take, uh, I, I'm not going to let somebody tell me whether I'm successful or not. I'm not, I'm not going to let you tell me whether I'm successful or not. I'm not going to let uh, a, a council tell me I'm successful or not. And I'm not going to let myself tell me whether I'm successful or not. Why is he saying this? We'll continue. Verse 4, he says, For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. So who is the only person who he considers a, a qualified judge of his work? The Lord. Only. He's like, I don't know anything. I don't know that, I, I've, that I'm doing a bad job. But he said, that, and that doesn't mean that I'm not doing a bad job. Maybe I am. But he's like, but, but at the end, of, when all is said and done, it's the Lord that is the judge of whether or not I'm doing a bad job. You see that? Verse 5, therefore, judge nothing before the time. 
until the Lord comes, who will bring both who will both bring, excuse me, to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Why is the heart tied to the success of a person's ministry? Because he said those who are stewards must be found faithful. Faithfulness is of the heart. So he's saying that whether or not your ministry is a success is based upon the state of your heart and your faithfulness toward God. Jesus is like, I, I, I was sent to do the will of my Father. I will be faithful in it. And it doesn't require um, talent. It doesn't require natural ability. Faithfulness just requires a choice to be faithful in whatever work God has given us. So he's saying, it's God who will reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then that last sentence says, then each one's praise will come from God. Well, you can translate that as reward. So your reward for your labor didn't come from people, it comes from God. Okay? So not even the Apostle Paul tried to judge his, pro- his progress. I'm not going to judge my progress in the work. That doesn't mean he's not going to do the work. It just means he's not going to judge it. Because that would be judging it before the time. And he's not the one who's qualified to do that. Only God's qualified to come and look at his work and inspect it and say, huh. When I was working with my dad, I didn't, look, I didn't finish painting a door and say, hmm, it looks really good. And just move on. No, he's the boss. So I would come and say, hey, dad, can you come look, look at this door? Tell me what you think. Is it good? And if he said, yeah, it looks good, I said, great, move on. Same thing with God. I can't judge my work. Because even if I did say, and many people do this, even if I did say, wow, that door looks so good. Look at that door. It's the best door ever. And if I walked away, and if it wasn't good, and Dad came by, he'd, he'd come, I, I, I mean, I know him, he'd, he'd, and he's done stuff like this before. I'm, I'm in a different room painting something else, and he comes in and goes, Come here. What is this? See, I'm not qualified to judge my work. Only, only the one who I'm working for is qualified to judge my work because he's the one who hired me. <laughs> so, in other words, you don't have to shoulder the burden of wondering how well you're doing in the Lord's work. Let him lead you in the work and just keep rejoicing in the harvest. Just keep rejoicing. The word said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you're weary, start rejoicing. Hmm. So instead of asking yourself, has this been worth it? Simply ask yourself, did I sow seed today? Did I water seed today? And did God bring the increase? Did I let God bring the increase? Did I let him do that? Yeah. You speak, you serve, you operate in the gift the Holy Spirit gave you, and then take a step back and let God speak to the heart of the person that you just ministered to, whether they're a believer or not. And then let him bring the increase. 
Did you ever do that? Just say, I'm, I, I've had, I've had, I'm learning this now. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't arrived. I'm learning to, if God gives me something to say to somebody, then just step back and see if he's got more for me to say or not. Because he might just be letting that word that I just spoke start to work in this person's life, and they might need time to think about it. Because if I just jump in there and start explaining it, they're going to get my interpretation of what I thought it meant. But maybe it's like, just cast the seed and Amen? If you cease from carrying a burden that God does not want you to carry, that's a surefire way not to grow weary. It's really good. I'm going to say it again. If you cease from carrying a burden God does not want you to carry, then you will not grow weary. One more time for the online crowd. You cease from carrying a burden that God does not want you to carry. Then you won't grow weary. Don't pick up a load that's not yours. Because I'm not qualified to judge the quality of my work. Other people might, they, they might try to. I've had people come up before and they're like, man, that was a great song. And I'm like, I messed up all over the place. But maybe I shouldn't have even said that. Maybe I should have just said, okay, well, thank you and... Praise God and move on because at the end, God's going to be the one to tell me, you know that song you sang? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge the quality of that right now. And I've got to be okay with his, with his judgment. Only God's qualified to do it. And if I am not qualified to judge the quality of my work, then I should not do that. I'll just sow seed the same way Jesus did, just broadcast. Broadcast what God tells me to broadcast. I won't concern myself with the type of soil it lands on. As long as I am where he told me to be, then I'll just trust him to bring the increase. Now, Jesus talked about a reward. We're getting ready to, to, to wind this down, but Jesus talked about a reward for the sower and the reaper together, right? They, they receive a reward. So we're not just working for nothing. We don't, work only for, we don't work for the reward, but God will give us a reward anyway. He, he is the ultimate reward. And, our, and, and the fullness of that, that other reward that we receive as followers in Christ will come when Jesus returns. But you know, he gives us that reward in part now as part of our wages and the service that we do for him here. You can, the Bible talks about how the Holy Spirit is a down payment. God gave us the Holy Spirit as a down payment for the things that will come later. And you see a whole lot of stuff come through the ministry of the Holy Spirit into our lives. Philippians 4.19 said, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He wasn't talking about someday because he, he, you were seeing the benefits of the food right there. He's already been refreshed. Like, they're like, eat. He's like, we're good. I don't need to eat. I'm refreshed. That's a supernatural provision, you understand. So believing this as we do the work is how we do not grow weary. Believe that your food is to do the will of him who sent you. 
you know. But God, see, God has this plan. And it's a wonderful plan. And in his plan is provision for you and work for you, too. God's not unjust. He wouldn't send you out into a field, and then when you came in, you were falling over. He said, okay, great. No food tonight. No provision. Sorry. He wouldn't do that. He's just. How are we all doing with this? Good news? Turn with me over to Romans chapter 14. I think this is the last, last uh, place I'm having you turn. How are you... That's okay, I'm used to that sound, it's all right. That means people are awake, so I'm okay. All right, chapter 14, and look at verse 17. <clears throat> Here's some good news for you. Verse 14, I mean, uh, chapter 14, verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God, now if you've accepted Christ, you're a part of that kingdom. You have citizenship in that kingdom. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. These are the things that God's kingdom consists of. You can, you can expect to walk in these, or at least they are available for you to walk in because you are a citizen of that kingdom. If you are a citizen of a kingdom, you have and you have full rights and benefits of, of citizenship in that kingdom, there are certain benefits within that kingdom, right, that you get to walk in. So if you're a citizen of God's kingdom, the life that you walk in should consist of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Think about that. Think about those three things, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. When you think about that, is there weariness in any of those things? Is there weariness in righteousness? Is there weariness in peace or joy in the Holy Spirit? There's no weariness in any of those things. Weariness has no place there. Because why, why, why is weariness not a part of any of those things? Because those are things that sustain you. Righteousness sustains your good position with God, peace for your mind, and joy in the Holy Spirit for God's strength. Those things sustain you, keep you going, keep you upright, keep you mobile. Those things add to you, they do not take away from you. When has peace ever taken away from you? Or joy, has joy ever taken away from you? They do not take away from you, they build you up. If you walk in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, how can weariness have a hold on you? Is it possible for weariness to have a hold on you if you're in those? Have you ever seen someone who is full of joy? Do they look weary? Have you, uh, someone who is at peace, do they look weary? Someone who knows their standing with God, their righteousness, that's what righteousness is, a good position with God. Someone who knows I can approach my father any time. Are they weary? And if weary starts to take hold of them, I go to my father. Amen. Because weariness does come. It does. It's not like you're immune from it. It does come. Jesus, and we see that because Jesus was weary when he sat by the well, right? 
You say, well, pastor, that's physical weariness. He's, you know, it's not spiritual weariness. Well, he was pretty weary when he came down off the mountain. And they're like, can you cast this demon out of this boy? And he's like, how long do I have to put up with all of you? How long must I bear with you? That's a spiritual weariness. How long must I bear with you? How long? But bring the boy to me. Why? Because that's the father's work. And then he'll be refreshed after he does the father's work. <laughs> you see it? Amen. Okay. Bless you all. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you, Lord, that you don't want us to be weary. So I speak a blessing of refreshing over these people. I say in Jesus' name by faith that they are refreshed. It's times of refreshing to come from your spirit, Lord, not mine. From your presence, Lord, not my presence. And so I speak it over them in faith. I, I, I cast, I, I sow that in Jesus' name. And I believe, Father, you bring the increase of refreshing to each of these here. Because you're just that good. I ask, Lord, you bless everyone as they go. Keep them safe as they go. And give us work to do, Father, in your field. And I thank you. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys are dismissed. Does anybody need, if you need prayer about any of this,